Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. On November 11th, 2022, we had a funeral for Andrew Herdekant, a 24-year-old young man from our church. He was killed in a traffic accident, left behind a young wife, a deeply grieving family, and many, many close friends, many of whom were not Christians, but had seen in Andrew the transformation in his life and had heard from him the gospel. The family asked at the funeral that we share that again. So here's the sermon from that day. Saturday morning, the family was descending on Andrew and Haley's house. One by one they came in and one by one just the emotional bomb exploded again of what had happened. And Andrew's grandmother, Kathy, arrived, moved quickly across the living room and wrapped up Haley in her arms. And as she, as she grabbed her, she said these words, I don't know, I don't know, but I know he's with Jesus. And that's where we all want to be. Through tears Of grief, she silently asked and answered the question that most of us have been thinking ever since then, and it is why? Why him? Why now? Why does a good God allow things like this to happen? And we say with her, I don't know. I don't know. What answers can we give today to make sense of this. Well, here's what we can do. We can look to God's word in Psalm 115 that says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. The fact that God is sovereign means he does what he wants, when he wants, and he never has to ask anyone's permission. Job chapter 12 says, In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. And therefore, we believe Lamentation 3 is true. That in the midst of our questions and hurt, we say, but this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. Every morning, great is your faithfulness, O God. And yet, for many of us, the question remains in our heart. And it's a question we don't want to say out loud, and yet I think we need to. That for the sake of our own soul and our own emotions, and here it is. Why was Andrew so fearless? And I want to say this next word really carefully, and then hopefully I'll redeem it, so stick with me. Why was he so reckless? 
That's a real question that bangs around in our heart and our mind. And I don't know how many times I heard family encouraging each other, don't be mad at him. Don't be mad at him. Here's why we need to ask that, because some of us, especially those of you who are super close to him, have followed that question by saying, maybe this is my fault. Maybe I should have said something. Maybe I should have done something. But listen to me. We've all met a ton of people in our lives. A ton of people. And they kind of, they kind of come and go, and they don't leave that big of a mark on us. But here's the reason that we're here today. Andrew was not that type of person. Andrew left a deep, deep mark on us. We are here because he was fearless. Where we might stand back and be timid, he was reckless in jumping right into the middle of your life and mine. That, that's what these guys illustrated. He just recklessly jumped in, fearlessly jumped in. Therefore, he made a huge mark on all of us because he was reckless enough to care about people. Reckless enough to end up dancing shirtless at almost every wedding he attended. (laughs) Yet he never pretended to be perfect. He never came across as holier than thou or better than someone else or looking down on someone else. In fact, when his shirt came off, you saw what was literally forever inscribed on his body from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, let, let let me read that again, but translate it for you. God so loved Andrew. That instead of waiting for Andrew to be good enough, God sent his son, Jesus, to be good in Andrew's place. God sent his son, Jesus, to be punished for Andrew's sin, and Andrew believed it. And God gave him everlasting life. Friends, God doesn't require us to be good. God requires us to be perfect. Yet here's what we normally say in this life. Well, I'm basically a good person. I mean, I I try really hard to be a good person. I'm nice to small children and puppies. Therefore, God must love and accept me. And yet here's what the Bible says, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If God requires not goodness but perfection, we have all fallen short of that. And then... When it feels like your heart has been ripped out of your chest on a week like this, some jerk like me comes along and stands up in front of you and says, not only does God require perfection, but there's a great chasm that separates us and God. Think the Grand Canyon. On one side is the holy creator of the universe. And that word holy, God's holiness, it's sort of a churchy word that we use. It means separate from everything. He's perfect. He's sinless. He's uncontaminated. Seems like everything in this world just gets contaminated a little bit, and we learn to deal with it, but that's not God. God is perfect and holy and uncontaminated, and on the other side of the Grand Canyon is you and me 
imperfect, sinful. And in that chasm in between, it suddenly makes sense that the Bible says that our sins have separated us from God. That's all that contamination that we have, all of that sin, that imperfection. And no matter how hard you try, you can't jump from one side to the other. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how committed you are. (laughs) I don't care how strong and athletic, and you're going to get a running start. You're going to find out really fast when your feet leave the side of the Grand Canyon, I got no shot of making it to the other side. And so Andrew never had to pretend to be perfect. He wasn't. His hope was not in his perfection, but in the God who saved him. And yet we, we can listen to that and we go, yes, but that's not fair. This is, this is the world's common objection to this. That's not fair. That God would demand perfection of me. And we usually follow it up with something like this. I believe in a God that loves and accepts everybody. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound comforting? That's what I believe in. Man, I'm telling you what. I appreciated, guys, you getting up here. And you did fantastic, by the way, sharing your stories. And yet we had to be kind of selective on who we asked and what we asked them to talk about because Andrew had some stories. I'm guessing as you guys thought about some of those stories, you went, yeah, I can't tell that one in church. (laughs) That's contamination. Right? He was a good guy. We loved him. We loved the time spent with him, and yet we sort of acknowledge, even in thinking that, like, well, yes, but there's a certain aspect of that that I can't bring before a holy God. Let me give you an illustration of this, just to help us frame this in our mind. After the service, there's going to be a grade side service in Middlebury, and then we're going to come back here, and there's going to be a lunch provided. I want you to just imagine on the far end of the table, uh, there's sort of a dessert section and there's the brownies that are down there. Like anybody else love brownies? Amen. God's gifty. I saw a hand right in the middle. That was awesome. Only there's a little sign right in front of the brownies and it says this one has just the tiniest amount of dog poop in it. We ran out of ingredients and so we went in the backyard and I mean, we're talking just a couple couple pieces. You won't eat, you can't taste it, you can't know what's in there. Now even though we live in a world that we're just used to contamination, we look at that and we go, I'm not touching that. I don't care if I can't smell it, I don't care if I can't taste it, it's in there and therefore it is unholy. It's contaminated and I don't want any part of that. It, multiply that times a million and the holy God, creator of heaven and earth, perfect, unstained and untouched by sin, looks at you and me, and we go, yeah, but it's just a little bit of sin. It's just a a little bit of contamination. He says, I can't have that in my presence. Oh, and yet God did not leave us in that state. The very next verse, after the verse that was forever written on Andrew's arm is, and most of us are familiar with John 3.16, is John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That God wasn't waiting on you to get perfect. He did it through Christ. That your debt was fully paid if your trust is in Christ. That Jesus didn't come to make you feel bad, to condemn you, to make you feel guilty. But listen, 
He came because we were already condemned. We were already that brownie that was contaminated before a holy God who wanted nothing to do with it. And so because of that, he sent a Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died. Not for the good people, not for the church people. Christ died for the ungodly. The Apostle Paul continues and he says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still contaminated, while we were still unacceptable, and in fact, Scripture also says hostile towards that holy God, right then, Christ died for us. Andrew was a great guy. But his hope was not in his goodness. He believed. Some of you got a front row seat to watch that change happen in the last couple years. You knew him as a good guy. Part of who God had made him to be has always been there. But you saw what what happened when that good guy came face to face with a Savior in Christ. And I loved the description of the fruit of the Spirit being evident in his life. That, that's just the evidence. You can say, I'm, a, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree. But if we go out at harvest time and there's oranges all over the tree, we say, you're not an apple tree, you're an orange tree. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. We can say, I'm a Christian, say, I'm a Christian. But if there's no evidence of that in our life, well, then God looks and says, depart from me, I never knew you. But Andrew was full of the evidence, the fruit that God was living within him. He was not perfect, but he believed. Here's what John 3 continues to say in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Remember I said this is, this is the state. God doesn't put this on us. This is where we are. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God, and this is the judgment The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out in God. Friends, I love the story that Alistair Begg tells of the crucifixion of Christ as he has come to earth. We, we celebrate that at Christmas, the incarnation that God came to save sinful people, that he lived a perfect sinless life that he might go to the cross and bear the punishment for our sin. The gospel accounts tell us that on either side of him were two robbers, two thieves who were crucified right along with him. And in those different gospel accounts, they, they say that initially they together mocked him. They reviled him. They cursed him. Only something changes. It, it doesn't tell us what happened or how long it took. But at some point, they go from mocking to one guy mocking, saying, Listen, if you're, if you're Jesus, if you're God, if you're this Messiah, well, get down on the cross. Save yourself. Save us. Just just scoffing at the Savior, and something has changed in the other thief's heart, and he says, have you no fear of God? We're rightly condemned and guilty, but this man is innocent. Something happened, and he believed. 
He went from mocking to belief, and it wasn't anything he did. It was the work of God within him. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's literally the only person in the Bible that we're told explicitly, you're going to heaven. And Alistair Begg imagines what happens when he comes before the throne of God. What happens when he comes in our mind's eye to the gate of heaven? And that old question, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? We should rightly recognize if that answer starts with us, because I did this, because I tried really hard, or even because I believed and repented, we've missed it. Because this thief on the cross had no time for any of that. He never went to church a single time. He never fixed a single thing in his relationships. The one and only answer that he had to offer, and it's Andrew's answer, it's why he didn't have to be perfect. The guy on the middle cross said I could come. Friends, listen to me. Those of you who maybe have heard Andrew's stories again and again, you've seen evidence in his life, and you've thought Christianity was about keeping the rules and getting it right and working towards being perfect. No, here's the answer that he knew. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Jesus did all the work. All the penalty for your sin has been fully paid in him. He paid the debt that we owed before a living God. Here's how Jesus describes it. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and my sheep hear my voice. That's what happened with Andrew. Andrew didn't get smart enough to figure this God thing out. God called him, and he heard his voice. It wasn't even his choice. God called him, and he heard. Jesus says, I know them, and they follow me. That's the evidence we got to see on this side of eternity going on in Andrew. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. and No one can snatch them out of my hand. Here's a promise from Romans chapter 10, verse 11. The Bible says that everyone who believes in him, this doesn't mean just giving assent. Yep, I think I believe it. I think it's like 87% of Americans say that they believe in God. It's only 50-some percent of Americans that actually go to church or say that they do anything practically in living their faith. There's a giant disconnect in our country. No, this is, this is belief like Andrew had belief. Belief that causes fruit and change in our life. When we quit trusting in ourselves and we trust fully in the power of a Savior, to that, he says, everyone who believes will not be put to shame. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, I want to say that's for you today. Man, if the evidence of Andrew's life has through his words and through his actions preached a gospel, which just means good news, preached good news that there is salvation and it's not that you're good enough or smart enough or perfect enough, it's that the, God's power to save is greater than our power to sin. Then I would say to you, Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in I'm a good enough person or I've done enough good things to earn it and put your trust in Christ alone for salvation today. That doesn't happen because you decide to do it. Uh, Some of you in this room can hear that and it bounces right off of you. 
And some of you in this room hear that and your heart burns within you because you say, yes, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. I need a God to save me. And then in response to that great salvation, live it out in such a way that at your funeral no one has to say, well, I think he was a Christian. You know what comfort it has brought to this family to say, I know exactly where Andrew is. There's no doubt. There's no guessing. Maybe a couple years ago, we would have said, well, he he definitely believed in God, and so we're going to have hope. No, today there is no doubt that Andrew is standing in the presence of Jesus right now. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. In the quietness of your own heart, ask those questions of that same God that saved Andrew. God, if you're real, God, if this sin that it feels like is contaminating me is real, oh God, save me. We're going to sing as a congregation a couple songs together. So if you guys want to make your way up. The first one is a, an old spiritual that basically says, God, I've lived in this world. I've, I've tried all the other things in this world. And they just don't work. And so it's, God, you can have this world. Give me Jesus. Now, I, I'm not a big fan of easy believism. Where you, you hear a sermon and you pray a quick prayer and then you go, I'm in. Because I, I believe there, number one, salvation is a work of God, not of man. And number two, there's an evidence that you'll see in your life. But if that's you this morning and you feel that call of God towards salvation... I'm telling you what, there's no magic prayer that you say before God. As you stand and with the congregation sing this song, I'm just telling you, for some of you in this room, this is what's going to happen. You're going you're to sing these words with us. God, you can have all this world. Give me Jesus. I need a Savior. Take my sin. Make me like Andrew was, transferred from death to life, from darkness to light. And as you say it and as you sing it, God's going to cause your heart to come alive. And if that happens, would you please, I'm telling you, you can do nothing better for this family than to come to them and say, man, that was me. Don't do this alone. Andrew's life testified, we're not made to be alone. We are made for community one with another. But come to them and say, that was me. And as we sang, I trusted in Christ. Would you walk along with me so I can bear fruit in my life? Evidence that God has done a work of salvation in you. When that happens, friends, I promise you, you'll sing the second song different. A song written a long time ago by a guy who lost his whole family on a ship as they're headed off towards England. And the wife sends him a a telegram that says, saved alone. All your children are gone. He gets on a boat and he gets behind them. When they get about where His children had perished in the sea. He looks over the side of the boat and he says, Okay, on the good days when peace like a river attends my way, and on the other days when sorrows like these sea billows roll over me, for some of you that's today, whatever my lot, good or bad, God has caused me. He has convinced me so that I say, It is well with my soul. You'll only sing that right when we've put our trust in Christ. So God, I pray for these precious people. 
I pray as they grieve and they mourn Andrew's passing for the comfort that only you can give. God, we can love and we can hug and we can cry together. We can share stories and memories. And God, there's healing in that. But there is a comfort that only you can give. There's a strength that only you can give. And so I pray right now, would you surround again this precious family and friends with your great love, your great comfort, your great care. That whatever our lot, you have caused us to say it is well with my soul because I know who holds Andrew right now. I pray for those in this room, God, who have heard good news, who have heard about you but haven't trusted in you. Lord, even right now, we believe that Psalm 3 is true, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Right now, would you call their name? Would you cause them to be the sheep who hear your voice and follow after you? God, in the midst of what seems like such hard and difficult place for us to stand, would you let salvation spring up from the ground? Accomplish your good work, we pray through Christ. Amen. Would you come together as a congregation, let us stand and sing in hope. Give me Jesus.